In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Well, earlier today, the Federal Reserve actually surprised the markets to a degree with its so-called hawkish pause as expected and not too long ago the expectation was actually for a hike in the june meeting but i think in recent uh weeks and maybe month or so uh the sentiment had shifted i think the inflation data that came out earlier uh today and yesterday also helped set the tone for the expectations that the fed would not hike in June, but the markets initially received the so-called good news as a hawkish pause because at the same time that the Fed decided to skip the rate hike for June, although in the Q&A section, Powell seemed to be walking away from the word skip, but in any event, they didn't raise rates in June, but they actually guided expectations higher for future rate hikes. In fact, Powell said that the Fed expects rates to be at 5.6% by the end of the year, which would imply another 50 basis points of hikes. So two more 25 basis point hikes, which is more than the market thought. Remember, a lot of people were still thinking the Fed would be cutting rates by the end of the year. They basically ruled that out. I mean, if you believe what they're saying, they're saying, no, we're not cutting. Nobody sees any cuts. We're going to hike rates. Powell admitted, you know, kind of both in his prepared remarks and during the Q&A <clears throat> that inflation is still a huge problem, that the Fed has not seen any signs yet that core inflation in particular is coming down that it's a lot more stubborn uh, and sticky than the FOMC members had thought, that the balance of risks is still skewed to higher inflation, not lower inflation. So inflation remains a, a big concern for the Fed. Powell talked about how important it is to restore price stability, but how far away we are from achieving that goal and how it still could take many years to get back down to 2%. Well, if all that is true, 
then why pause? If you acknowledge that inflation is still a problem, that the risks are to the upside with inflation, so you're admitting that you're behind the curve. In fact, also during the Q&A, Powell admitted that the rate we have right now is not sufficiently restrictive to bring inflation back down to 2%, that a sufficiently restrictive, restrictive rate is higher than where we are now. Well, if that is the case, why wait? Just hike rates. What is the point of not hiking rates, but then telling the markets that you're gonna do it later because those rate hikes are needed, you're just not gonna do it now. Well, if inflation is still a problem and you still don't have evidence that the problem is being solved, why risk waiting? Just hike now. If you're gonna hike anyway later on because you know that higher rates are needed, why not raise those rates now rather than wait and risk an inflation problem that is already not being solved? Why risk it getting worse? So in my mind, it makes no sense for Powell to do this. If he really intends and the Fed really intends to raise rates more because they acknowledge that inflation is still too high and they have a lot of unfinished work left to do, then raise them now. Especially if you believe the other BS, which of course I don't believe any of the BS, but if you just take Powell at his word, he said, we still have the strongest labor market in 50 years, right? Very strong labor market, kind of ignoring what's been happening recently. And of course, the so-called strength in the labor market is just a, a function of the low unemployment number, which is government sleight of hand. I mean, that's a very deceptive way to look at the labor market. I think it's anything but strong. Even if you have low unemployment, uh, I don't think we have a strong labor market because real wages are falling. If we had a strong labor market, workers could get a raise. They can't. I mean, to the extent that they get a raise, it's lower than the official inflation rate, let alone the actual inflation rate. So I don't think we have a strong, a strong labor market, but the Fed says it. Also, the Fed increased their estimates for GDP growth. So based on this meeting, the Fed believes the economy is actually going to be stronger than it believed before, and it believes inflation is going to be higher than it believed before. So if that is the case, again, why pause? It makes no sense. The only thing that does make sense is that it's not really a pause, that the Fed is done hiking rates. And I think that that is likely to be the case. And even though they're denying that anybody is thinking about cutting rates, I think they are thinking about it. I mean, they're not just not thinking about thinking about thinking about it. They are thinking about it and they may in fact actually do it. It's just that they don't want to telegraph that possibility to the markets because they don't want to spook the markets. Because if I'm right, and this is the end of the, the hiking cycle, they don't want to let the markets know that. Because if inflation is still a problem, why would the Fed not be hiking rates? I think it's because they're worried about what they perceive as a bigger problem in the economy. 
burst in the financial sector, in the banks, in commercial real estate, which also, of course, involves the banks. But Powell understands, to a degree, the problem that the banks are having with 5% interest rates. Why make that problem worse by going to five and a quarter or five and a half? To me, it's like the mid-course correction that the Fed had when they you know, cut rates in uh, 2019 and claimed it was just a course correction, that they were going to keep on hiking, that, that, that the hiking bias hadn't ended. They were just doing a little correction. They were just going to take, you know, maybe one or two steps backwards before several more steps forward so that we were going to continue to hike. We just cut a little bit. That was BS. I was right to call out the Fed. It wasn't a course correction. It was a change of course. It was a 180 degree about face because the Fed never stopped cutting until it went to zero. And so I think this is not really a pause or a skip. I think it's the end. I think if the Fed really was going to keep hiking rates, there was no reason to skip the June meeting. So they're probably going to skip the July meeting too. Uh, and they, they may skip all the meetings because the problems in the underlying economy are going to get worse because despite what Powell says about the strong economy and the strong labor market, none of that is true. And in fact, you know, one of the things that Powell claimed the Fed needs to see in order for the economy to have the conditions that would allow inflation to go back down to 2%. He said what he needs to see is some softening in the labor market or more softening and slower economic growth. He believes that those are the necessary ingredients to lower inflation, which is a Keynesian philosophy that inflation is a byproduct of economic growth and employment when it's not. None of those things actually contribute to inflation. In fact, if you are creating inflation, which is what the Fed is doing in concert with the government running these massive deficits that the Fed has monetized, what you need is a vibrant economy, a productive economy with people working to help increase supply so that that will offset the increased quantity of money. So you want goods to go up so that there's actually money, goods to buy with all the money that the government is creating, that the Fed is printing. So a weak economy with lots of uh, people not working and not being productive actually exacerbates the upward pressure on prices that are coming from the uh, increase in the money supply, the inflation that is being created by the Fed. Anyway, I'm gonna take a quick break and I've got more to talk about on this topic on the other side, so don't go anywhere. 
As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com slash gold, code gold. I'm talking about the Powell press conference following what has been billed as a hawkish pause. You know, the last hike, they said that was a dovish hike. So we went from a dovish hike to a hawkish pause. But again, I think really this is a dovish pause, not even a pause in in Hawk's clothing. Because again, I think that Powell has got a sense of the stress in the financial system that already exists based on where rates are. He doesn't want to add to that stress, but he doesn't want to admit that the economy can't handle it. So he has to, you know, walk this fine line. How do I stop hiking rates, but not admit that I'm no longer fighting inflation? Because he he doesn't want rates to go up. But the problem is just implying that they're going to tighten is going to be additional, is going to create additional problems within the banking sector, the real estate sector. You know, Powell even admitted that there was a problem in the commercial real estate market, which is you know an, an amazing thing because they never admitted there was a problem in the residential real estate market during the housing bubble, even after it popped. And even after subprime blew up, uh, they basically shrugged it off and said it was all contained and it was nothing to worry about. So now at least they're admitting there's a problem here in, in, the, in commercial real estate and there's gonna be losses for the banks. They're just sugarcoating it. They're understating the severity of this problem. But if they even acknowledge a problem, which is something they don't do, right? Imagine how bad this problem is if they actually acknowledge it. Because they're never going to acknowledge the true extent of it because they don't want to scare anybody uh, by, by uh, you know, pointing out just how bad this is going to be. But it is. And so if the Fed is at least got an eye on the problem, they don't want to compound the problem by hiking rates. But you know, I also thought it was interesting just how much time Powell spent talking about how important it is to get inflation down and how little progress they've actually made in in, in accomplishing that, how they've made some progress, but there's still a long way to go uh, to getting where they want to be. You know, he said that price stability 
is the bedrock of the economy. And we, you know, we can't risk losing price stability. It's so important. It's so crucial uh, to prosperity. Well, if that is the case, didn't Powell believe that two years ago, three years ago? If he really believed in the sanctity of price stability, how, you know, it's so, uh, you know, important. You want to just, you know, cherish it and protect it and you don't want to risk losing it. Why was he so cavalier about it? Why did he leave interest rates so low for so long? You know, why did he dismiss the early warning signs of such an important thing if he was risking losing uh, this bedrock of price stability? Why didn't he try to act preemptively? Why did Powell say several years ago that they were gonna err on being too late rather than too early? that he was okay if inflation was higher because it was gonna be very easy to bring it back down. I mean, what happened to all that? I mean, I guess Powell was wrong about all that, but he never admits it. He never acknowledges it. Nobody asks him any questions about that. I haven't seen any of the reporters ask some hard questions about, hey, why weren't you tough on inflation before it became a huge problem? Why didn't why did you have to wait to see the whites of the eyes to fire? Why didn't you do something preemptively? After all, that has been historically what central bankers have done. You know, the adage, don't let the inflation genie out of a bottle. There's a reason for that. You know, they just didn't come up with it because, you know, there wasn't any experience with letting it out of the bottle. Every central banker knows how tough it is to get the inflation genie back in the bottle. Why didn't Powell know that? Especially if he knew how important price stability is, why didn't he raise rates sooner? Well, the reason was he was afraid of what it would do to the economy. He knew a few years ago how levered the economy was, how fragile it was, how addicted it was to cheap money. And so he was willing to risk inflation getting out of control rather than act preemptively to stop it and potentially cause all that damage in the economy and you know the banks. Well, it's the same situation today. We're in an even more vulnerable position. They've already hiked rates to 5%. We have a lot more debt now than we had a few years ago. We've already seen all these high profile bank failures. If the Fed didn't realize before how vulnerable the banks were to higher rates, it sure as hell knows it now. If it didn't see the flip side to the mortgage refinance wave, if it didn't understand all the risks to the lenders of being on the hook for 30-year fixed rate mortgages with a three-handle or a two-handle, it sure as hell knows now. If it didn't see the risk of all the banks owning a bunch of 10, 20, 30-year treasuries with one or two handles, it sure as hell knows those risks now. So I think it's the same predicament. So the Fed is done hiking rates. It just doesn't want to say why, because it doesn't want to let that cat out of the bag. But this would be meeting with precedent, that once you stop that hike cycle, it's kind of hard to resume it, especially when the markets now are going to start to factor in the fact that some of these expected hikes are not going to materialize. Because what's more important is not what the Fed thinks might happen in the future, but what they actually do now. And even though 
they are somewhat promising future rate hikes, they may not deliver them. And I think the fact that they won't deliver is going to start to be built in to the markets. And then the Fed is not going to want to risk disappointing markets that are now preparing for no more rate hikes. Also, another thing that I thought was significant or, and, you know, but again, none of these people at these press conferences, you know, ask this question, or I don't know if they even think about asking this question, but Powell talked about how many years it's likely to take to get inflation back down to 2%, which, you know, at least that's an honest admission to an extent because it's going to take a lot more years than, than, than he is, you know, implying, but at least he is implying years. Maybe people think he means two or three, right? But that's still a long time to have inflation well north of, of 2%, which really means that rates can't go down, especially when Powell talked about how in order to bring inflation down to 2%, we need positive real rates, which means interest rates have to stay above the rate of inflation. Well, that means we're not going to get a return to zero or one or 2% rates, which is what the markets really need, which is what I think the stock market investors are betting on. You know, the NASDAQ hit another 52-week high today, you know, led higher by NVIDIA. That was up another 5%, you know, now over a trillion dollar market cap. Uh, Microsoft made a new uh, uh, high, uh, you know, based on the AI hype. The Dow was down about 250 points. And I think on a percentage basis, the Russell 2000 was down more. Gold also reacted negatively, but finished the day, I think, up a few bucks. It was up like 10 or 12 bucks before the, the hawkish pause. Then it, then it sold off. As I'm looking at it now after, after hours, it's now down about $3, $4. Now $7.5. So it's now down a little bit uh, on uh, the day. Bitcoin, uh, for those of you who uh, pay attention to Fool's Gold, is actually having a pretty bad night. It, it, it went below 25000 uh, about two hours ago. Uh, that was about a $1,000 drop from where it was, you know, around the time the U.S. stock market closed. As I'm doing this podcast live, it's 25123 uh, So not looking very good for, uh, for the, the holders. Um, but the markets are still priced for some type of return to cheap money that, oh, okay, now that the Fed has brought inflation back down, we can go back to these low rates that we've enjoyed for over a decade. That ain't happening. And the Fed is kind of admitting that by saying it's going to take years to get inflation back down to 2%. And in order to get inflation back down to 2%, we're going to have to have positive real interest rates, which means interest rates that are higher than inflation. And inflation year over year is still running four or five percent. And so that means interest rates have got to be, you know, five percent or so. And if inflation turns up, they got to be even higher than that. And again, positive real interest rates means interest rates that are higher than the actual rate of inflation, not the rate that the government pretends is the rate, but the real rate that bondholders or other lenders are going to have to deal with. And as more people come to terms 
with the reality that the official government numbers are too low and that actual inflation is quite a bit higher than what the numbers will admit to, well then real interest rates also have to be a lot higher. And that is very problematic for the market. But what Powell is not being asked about, and I would love it, is if we're gonna have inflation considerably above 2% for several years, what about the Fed's commitment to average inflation of 2%? Because it was just two years ago that Powell said that we just don't want to target 2%. We want to target average 2%. We want to make sure that inflation averages 2%. Now, of course, it was very convenient for the Fed to say that back then because inflation had been a little bit below 2%. And that's what initially gave the Fed the leeway to allow inflation to be above 2%, right? They said, well, we were at one and three quarters, one and a half. So that means we can go to two and a quarter, two and a half to kind of make up for it, to average it all out so that it's 2%. Well, first of all, if price stability was so important, right? The bedrock of our economy and inflation is, is so hard to control once it you know, gets you know, entrenched, why even risk that? Why didn't they immediately declare victory when inflation hit 2% and start hiking again? They knew the economy was addicted to the cheap money and it wanted to keep supplying it. So it came up with this bullshit excuse about average inflation so that they can allow inflation to go above 2% without looking like they weren't living up to their mandate because they kind of changed the mandate as they went along to allow for higher inflation to supposedly average up the lower inflation. And again, I talked about how that was all BS at the time and how there's no reason that the public has to suffer and make up for the fact that in the past, the cost of living didn't go up enough. And so now in the future, it has to go up more to make up for the fact that it didn't go up as much in the past, right? I mean, the whole thing didn't make any sense. But if Powell thought it was important to average up one and three quarters percent inflation, wouldn't it be even more important to average down 9% inflation, 7% inflation, 5% inflation? Over all these years that it's gonna take to get inflation back down to 2%, how many more years would it take of sub 2% inflation to average it back down to 2%? Because if all the Fed does is get back down to 2%, they're never gonna get the average back down to 2% because we're gonna have so many years where inflation was above 2%. So why doesn't somebody throw that in Powell's face? Say, hey, Powell, wait a minute. Don't you still believe in, in averaging? Don't you still want the inflation rate to average 2% over time? And so if that's the case, why are you targeting 2%? Why don't you target zero? You know, Because why don't you target negative one? I mean, we have a lot of inflation to make up for. Why are you gonna settle with going back to 2% and just add all that inflation on top of the higher inflation? I mean, aren't, isn't the public entitled to some relief? If the public has to suffer so many years where inflation is triple or quadruple two, wouldn't they be entitled to a few years where it's less than two? Why do you wanna stick them with two? 
uh, because the average will never get there. And then even if they get down to two, how long will they stay there before uh, we, we, we turn up? Anyway, I want to get to um, the actual inflation numbers, too, that came out this week. And, and these numbers were better than expected. And they kind of you know, set the stage for today's pause, although there was some other data weakening labor data. And again, Powell isn't even acknowledging that the labor, you know, labor market is, is weakening. He's still pretending it's really strong, but we have had uh, this, this week, uh, these weak numbers. But um, at least on, you know, unemployment numbers and other signs, you know, the official government numbers, right, they continue to be strong, uh, you know, but beneath the surface, we continue to see cracks in the labor market. And ultimately, what may be what forces the Fed to cut rates instead of raise them, and that could very well be the next move. In fact, if the Fed is done hiking, well, then obviously the next move is going to be a cut. And I think it could be a, a bigger crack in that labor market. And it could be precipitated by bigger problems in the banks and in commercial real estate, which involves the banks and all that, that causes a, a bigger uptick in, in unemployment or job losses. And as we get closer to the elections, that uh, becomes a bigger factor. And, you know, the Fed is very political, despite the fact that it claims otherwise. And oh, although one more point, actually, yeah, I want to make before I get to these inflation numbers. You did get one question from the Fox News guy. And, you know, the Fox reporters really like to talk about government spending and the deficit because the Democrats are in control and are driving that. You know, I really wish they thought it was more important when the Republicans were in control and were driving all the deficit spending, right? Because they were doing it when Trump was president. You know, they were, they were doing nothing to reduce spending. In fact, Trump increased spending on welfare and warfare. So there was no fiscal discipline being advocated in the Republican Party when the Republicans had the reins. But now that they're, you know, passengers, they're, you know, they're making noise. But okay, at least they're making noise. It would have been nice if they made noise when they could have done something about it. <laughs> But it's better than never making noise, even if it is hypocritical and therefore not as effective. But the Fox News guy brought up the deficit. He was the only one that brought up the deficit, the national debt, the fact that we uh, suspended the ceiling and the fact that, you know, the national debt is going to hit 50 trillion. Um, but it was you know, 10 years from now, probably a lot sooner than that. And he said to Powell, at some point, or when are you going to say something about these deficits to Congress? When are you going to say that we need to do something about spending? We need to do something about the impact that these deficits are going to have on inflation, right? That, you know, when are you going to do something? And once again, Powell completely copped out. Right? He's a chicken, right? not a hawk or you know, a chicken hawk. But Powell said, never, I'm never going to say anything. I'm not going to go there. That's not my problem. That's not my concern. That's none of my business. That is a complete cop out and it's BS because it absolutely is Powell's business. And of course, you know, during the early days of COVID, Powell had no problem encouraging the government to run bigger deficits 
which was a mistake. We should not have done that. But the point I'm making is when Powell thought we needed bigger deficits so that he can print more money to stimulate the economy, he had no problem telling Congress to run bigger deficits. All right, well then why can't you tell the same Congress to run smaller deficits? Why now is that none of your business? Do you have to keep your mouth shut and not say anything? But the other problem is that Powell has to know, and of course if he doesn't, you know, he has no business being Fed chair, but he's gotta know that ultimately what's driving inflation is government deficit spending. That's where all the money printing ultimately comes from. It's to buy up all this debt. The Fed wouldn't have such a massive balance sheet if we weren't running these big deficits. And the bigger the deficits get, the harder it's going to be for the U.S. government to find legitimate private buyers. And in fact, there was a hearing just the other day with Janet Yellen. And one of the congressmen asked her, you know, you know, what's your plan for when the Chinese start dumping their treasuries? What are you going to do? And she was like, well, you know, yeah, that's a risk. And, you know, we really don't have a, a plan. And uh, the advice she got, you know, from Congress was, well, you better get a plan. You better start thinking about what's going to happen when the Chinese dump our debt. And, you know, they talk about how China is the second biggest creditor. They've got about 860 billion of treasuries. They always forget about the 260 billion that Hong Kong has because China controls that, right? Hong Kong is part of China. And so if you really want to look at the treasuries that the Chinese own, you got to add Hong Kong. And that puts them over a trillion. That puts them almost equal to Japan. They're about the same when you, when you count Hong Kong. So this is an even bigger problem than they admitted. But what makes the problem bigger is the size of the deficits. Because the more indebted we are, the less likely we are to repay. In fact, the, the debts are already too big. We can't repay. In fact, we just told the world that. We told all of our creditors that we don't have the resources to pay them back because we said if we can't raise the debt ceiling, we're going to default, right? Again, we didn't tell anybody that if we can't raise the debt ceiling, don't worry, we got you covered. You know, we'll raise taxes, we'll cut military spending, we'll cut Social Security spending, we'll figure out a way to make good on our obligations. No, no, no. They told the bondholders in no uncertain terms, you are a low man on the totem pole. If we can't go deeper into debt, if we can't find some bigger sucker to buy our bonds, then we're not going to pay off the suckers who already own the bonds that we sold in the past. That's what they're saying. And so, yeah, why would anybody, you know, want to hold on to U.S. Treasuries, given the fact that default is inevitable? The only question is when and how, whether it's an honest default or an inflationary repudiation, which is still default. And so these deficits are really important. And for Powell to say that he's never going to recommend to Congress that they act fiscally responsible, claiming that you know there's some kind of Chinese wall between the Fed and Congress, that you know Congress is not supposed to influence the Fed and the Fed is not supposed to influence Congress. That's actually kind of BS. The only thing that's not supposed to happen is that 
Congress and the president are not supposed to try to influence the Fed to be easier, to be more loose, right? To print more money, to monetize their debts. There's nothing wrong with Congress telling the Fed to be tighter, to fight inflation harder, to raise interest rates. That's totally fine. They'll never do that. And although once in a while you get some lone Republicans that'll do that. But by and large, that's fine. If Congress reminds the Fed to do its job, that's okay, right? To fight inflation, to maintain the integrity of the dollar. It's when Congress tries to get the Fed not to do its job, to accommodate large deficits, to make it possible for the government to spend excessively. Because the whole idea of an independent central bank is to act as a check on government extravagance and excess spending and deficits. So to the extent that Congress wants to ask the Fed to be tighter and, and, and to be a stricter you know, chaperone at this party, then, then that's fine, right? But it doesn't work the other way around. There is nothing that says an independent central bank has to keep its mouth shut as a reckless government runs up enormous deficits. That is not what an independent Fed is all about. In fact, an independent Fed specifically should be calling out Congress for its excesses because that proves its independence. The mere fact that Powell doesn't have the guts to call out Congress, to call out Biden, shows you that the Fed is not independent, that the Fed is acting as if it was part of the Biden administration. That's why it doesn't want to answer these questions. It is compromising its independence by failing to responsibly criticize the government. How is the Fed going to fight inflation when these massive deficits are being created? It can't. Unless the Fed is willing to allow default, unless the Fed is willing to allow a complete collapse, which it's not going to do, Powell has already said, oh, default would be terrible. We never want to have that happen. Well, that means he's committed to inflate because there's no way the government can repay all this debt unless the Fed sacrifices the dollar, sacrifices price stability, which he said was the bedrock of our economy. So the only way that Powell could actually keep his commitment to restoring price stability or 2% inflation the only way the Fed can preserve its independence is by specifically doing exactly what he said he will never do, which is telling the government they got to get their act together. Telling Congress, you got to cut spending. You got to balance these budgets or else we're in deep shit because that's where we are. It's going to hit the fan. Inflation is going to explode. Interest rates are going to skyrocket if Congress doesn't act. If the chairman of the Federal Reserve isn't going to warn Congress, then who is? That's his job, right? If he wants to defend price stability, what is the biggest threat to price stability? Government deficit spending. So if he's gonna say that's off the table, I'm not even gonna talk about it. I don't even care. Like I don't even look at what's going on with fiscal policy. I just focus on monetary policy and I don't give a damn about fiscal policy. When monetary policy is in fact being driven by fiscal policy. 
Powell is going to for, be forced to print money and create inflation if these deficits are allowed to continue. But by saying nothing, right, that's exactly what he's doing. He is abdicating his responsibility. He doesn't want to call out Congress, right, because he doesn't have the cojones to do it. And he doesn't want to criticize the guy that he's hoping is going to reappoint him for another term, right? That, that is the problem. They have this cozy relationship between the incumbent administration and whoever chairs the Fed. And of course, everybody else who might be an FOMC member who has their eyes on a chairmanship, well, they don't want to criticize the president either because he's the guy that's going to appoint whoever's going to succeed Powell if Powell doesn't want another term. So the media again refuses to call out Powell uh, for his failure to really do his job and to uh, recommend, to be the voice of stability and, and to warn. You know, right now it's just guys like me. I'm warning the government of what's going to happen. But they don't give a damn what I have to say. But they might give a damn about what Powell had to say. He's in a position to actually say something that might make a difference, yet he refuses to do it. Anyway, I'm going to get to these uh, inflation numbers that came out. So first of all, yesterday we got the CPI. And they were expecting an increase of 0.2. And we got an increase of 0.1. So half of what was expected. It was still within the range of expectations, but it was still less. And the year-over-year gain dropped from 4.9 to 4. That's a big drop. Uh, and they were expecting 4.1, so better news. However, the core, there was no improvement there. <coughs> uh, X Food and Energy up 0.4 on the month. That's still a big gain. And year over year, up 5.3. Barely an improvement on the 5.5. So the way I look at it, this really wasn't a good number because we have no improvement in the core, which is you know, as far as the Fed is concerned, the more important number. But what's been driving the headline number are commodity prices, energy prices. And this is not going to stick. I mean, oil prices are going to surge soon. I mean, right now we're just around $70 a barrel in the price of oil, a little bit lower. But we are getting ready, in my opinion, for another major move to the upside. In fact, the entire commodity spectrum looks like it's going to have a big move that may ultimately coincide with the breakdown of the dollar. I mean, the dollar index is still hanging out around 103. I mean, dollar index tried to rally. The rallies kind of failed. I think once we crack support, you know, somewhere below 100, the dollar could tank and that could be the, the catalyst to ignite the big explosion in commodity prices, including oil. In fact, oil might lead the way. And so that's going to help put a lot of upward pressure on headline CPI. So I think what we're seeing now is just, you know, a one-off kind of exception. I've been saying for a while, I think inflation is in the process of basing and, you know, turning up again. And I see nothing in these numbers to contradict that. Now, we also got the producer price numbers that came out today, and they were actually even better from the market's perspective than the CPI. They were looking for a drop of 0.1 and we got a drop of 0.3. And year over year, we went from up 2.3% to up just 1.1%. So now you have a year over year increase 
in producer prices of just 1.1%. So that may be encouraging to people. X food and energy though, 2.8. So the core there still above uh, the, the, the target of 2%. It's down from, from 3.2. But I think that number is a little bit better. But again, I think this is just temporary. Remember, we have so much inflation in the pipeline. The Fed has been creating inflation since 2008. I mean, we really had 14 years where the Fed printed a ton of money to keep interest rates near zero. There were only a few of those years where we were above zero. And we didn't get much above it. We never got above two and a half percent until last year. Right? And so that's how long interest rates have been that low. And we have created unprecedented economic distortions that are creating or will create a far worse financial crisis than the one we had in 2008. Powell knows that, I think, or at least has a concern. That's why they've stopped hiking. Uh, but if you, or to comprehend the, the magnitude of this problem, again, we had a real estate bust and financial crisis and great recession because the Fed kept interest rates at 1% for about two years and kept interest rates below 5% really for about four years. So we had about four years of artificially low rates and that created a housing bubble. And when it popped, a financial crisis and the worst recession since the Great Depression, well, we had rates at near zero for 14 years. We had four rounds of quantitative easing and a $9 trillion balance sheet. The economic mistakes and malinvestments that have been made as a result of this period of artificially low rates is significantly greater by several orders of magnitude than what happened between 2002 or three and, and 2007, you know, when rates were kept low. This is much worse. We have much bigger bubbles and as they pop, the financial crisis that ensues will be much greater. And it's happening at a time when the economy is in far worse shape because we have so much more debt now than we had back then. And the, the, you know, the level of malinvestments and misallocations are so much greater. And now what we have that we didn't have is in 2010 and 11, the world was still gobbling up dollars. The emerging markets were buying dollars as fast as we could print them. Now you've got de-dollarization. You've got the fact that so many major creditors in the world want to get rid of the dollars they own. They don't want to buy more. They don't even want the ones they have. So we've got this perfect storm uh, that has been created. And this is just the beginning. So I think Powell has basically blinked here. Uh, this is the beginning of, of, of that process. The markets haven't really started pricing it in yet. Gold, again, hasn't done anything. The dollar hasn't done anything. But I would expect uh, action in uh, those markets soon. Anyway. I, I want to, you know, actually, it's not really cutting this thing short. I've been going for 46 minutes here. But as you can tell from my voice, I, I picked up this really bad uh, cough now that I have. I got sick when I was in London, you know, right away. I picked up something probably on the plane or maybe just when I got there, just being in a different climate. And, uh, and now it's just in like a bronchitis or whatever it is, post-nasal drip. So I'm having a problem. I've been drinking a lot of water and taking stuff. So didn't even know I'd make it. This long, I had planned on doing a Q and A. I really had uh, for the premium members, 
after this, but my voice is not going to do it. I'm going to do it later this week. Um, so look out for that premium members. If you're not a premium member, go sign up. Uh, I know a lot of people might have a lot of questions given what's going on. And so I've got answers. And so we'll do that in a Q and a, hopefully I'm better on Friday. You know, Friday is when I got to go into New York city. That's when we've got the event, uh, on Madison Avenue in the art gallery. I'm doing the art and ordinal auction. So any of my uh, audience that lives, you know, in the tri-state area, if you're not too far from Manhattan, come on down. Even if you have no interest in, in, in buying any art or, you know, buying these ordinals, which are all, of course, tied to the prints. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be signing all these prints uh, live. You know, if you have any of my books, you want to bring those, I can sign them too. But I'm going to be signing these original 50 prints. So the people who buy them can, can leave, you know, with the autograph print. Um, and if you don't want to be there, but you know, you want to buy one of these prints or you want to buy the ordinals or, you know, they come as a set, but depending on, you know, what you'd rather have an actual work of art or, you know, a, a crypto token that evidences that you own that work of art, who knows, but if you want to bid on it, again, it's not too late. You go to onemarketprice.com uh, slash golden uh, to bid on it. You know, I've had a lot of fun with this project. Some people are like, you know, why is Peter Schiff doing this? I've done some Twitter spaces. Look, you know, it's fun. Uh, you know, I, I kind of like to tease the crypto crowd a little bit. I mean, they, they troll me, I troll them, but you know, throwing them a little bone here because you know, maybe this is something they want to have. I, you know, I've gotten some publicity over it. It's, it's had fun. It's not, you know, I don't expect to make a lot of money selling these things. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what happens after we, we auction them off because there will be a market that will exist for quite some time and, you know, just tracking them, uh, you know, might be some indication of, of something. So we'll see. But anyway, so hopefully I'll see some of you uh, actually in New York City Friday at seven to nine o'clock. Again, all that information is up on uh, on the website. So I'm going to sign off now. I'll see the premium members soon for the Q&A. Everybody else, I'm probably going to wait till next week. Hopefully my boys will be back and I'll be doing more of these podcasts. So bye for now.